Camera speeds. A mark. Hello and welcome to the Focus Pull at Work podcast. I'm Dennis Quinell, and in today's episode, I will get to chat with local 600 first AC and Instagram legend Brian Eichelmeyer. Brian is based in Houston, Texas. Now, uh, Megan comments and Brian already had a chat about Brian's backstory and how he got to where he is today. So there is another podcast episode with Brian. Please listen to that as well. But in our conversation, Brian and I uh, will focus uh, mostly on the technical aspects of pulling focus and the gear that Brian likes to use. Topics we'll talk about uh, will include the battle of the physics the good old CineRT versus Light Ranger debate, uh, small HD monitors, Redworks parts, because I really uh, like how Brian kind of builds his chainsaw handles there, the Light Widow map box, and so much more. Enjoy it. All right, Brian Eichelmeyer is with me on the pod today. Brian, thank you very much for joining. Uh, how are you doing today? Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. Um, Let's jump into it. But before we get into the technical thick of it, um, Brian, tell me a little bit about your setup. Uh, I believe you own a company, um, AQ Focus Solutions, with another first AC from the Houston area. Yes. Um, what's What's your setup there? How did you? When did you start this company? Why did you start it? And like, did you just you know start um, acquiring gear and it just grew and grew and grew? Like, what was the What's the background there? So. Um I'm a first AC, and in our, uh, of course, <laughs> in, in our city, we have a lack of uh, wireless uh, focus gear. Um, so to be able to basically give myself an advantage or to, in you know, my opinion, to stay up to date with the latest trend of gear, the only way that I saw was to, uh, you know, find an item that I could use and utilize on set that would give me the, you know, the experience needed to, uh, you know, do the jobs that were uh, being asked of us. Uh, wireless focus pulling was starting to become a new thing, um, but these jobs were getting more and more requirements to have this type of technology. Um, so I worked uh, with my second AC at the time, uh, Andreas Quintero, um, so the AQ uh, of it all. And so, uh, we basically started working together, saw this uh, piece of gear, and uh, went in with each other to, uh, you know, grab a three-axis uh, follow-focus system at the time. And then um, from there, uh, we were able to subvert it through our local rental house and kind of uh, work it. And then uh, we decided, you know, because of this, we had to create, you know, a partnership um, for it and then have to, you know, figure out the funds and stuff like that. Um, but we were able just to uh, start uh, making money off the item and then putting that money uh, toward, towards upgrading uh, that uh, that kit, so to say. So we added the uh, C-Motion Pan Handle Zoom uh, at the time. Um, we had the three axes. We had the WCU. Uh, we ended up purchasing the UDM um, because it all was an integrated system at that point and then getting all the uh, power cables. Uh, we, had, we had the UMC at the time because the C-Force RF wasn't available. Um, and then uh, every you know, LBUS cable you can think of, because <laughs> you never know what situation you're going to be uh, thrown into. 
and then um, the start-stop cables and everything like that. Because basically we wanted to have a kit that was built out enough to where we can handle any situation and, then, and if anybody came into the city, we had what they would expect. Um, so our business kind of grew from there. Um, I eventually bought my own, you know, 13 inch, uh, 1303. And then, um, the, so that started becoming a combination that we would send out, uh, together. And, um, to make matters easier on myself, I would sub rent everything through the company, uh, versus myself because it's harder to be like, all right, I want a kit rental. And they're like, well, we can do $150 kit rental for your monitor, your follow focus. And I'm just like, mm, that doesn't work out. <laughs> so, uh, I started becoming basically a, a second rental house, so to say, and uh, figuring out ways to uh, subrent these items through the companies and taking the hit, uh, just so I had the tools and the consistency of working with the tools that I needed mm. uh, to gain, gain the knowledge of how to use these items. And uh, WCU4 had its faults at the time. Um, the Alexa Mini, for example, had the bad antenna. Um, so it was getting the range uh, the WCU4 um, needed, and uh, in a lot of instances, a lot of people, you know, were tossing them out for Preston and stuff like that. Being as that was the only uh, unit that I had available to learn off of, you run into these problems and you learn how to uh, figure out ways to work around uh, the problems that you see. So you know, you you add a booster to your kit, uh, you add longer antennas and stuff like that, and um, these were ways to um, give you consistent, uh, you know, pulls and stuff like that when the range and stuff like, and was giving out, um, in certain instances, like, um, when you're in a closet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, you know, just started expanding out at that point on the, uh, the gear that we would acquire. Um, gimbals were coming, uh, popular. Yeah. Uh, so we got things like the Misfit Atom, um, bought upgrades like um handles for you know docking stations and stuff like that yeah. and then uh, just kind of stayed out of the camera game um luckily and <laughs> grew out more accessory wise uh to expand on uh what's important to us and what we use here in yeah. town but do you uh, uh do you only use the stuff yourself um or do you also like really rent it out to uh you know companies or, or productions that, that come through town and but you're not on it um everything is sub rentable um there's a few things that we tend to hold dear to us uh currently like the high five mm -hmm. <laughs> uh and the city 13 uh both me and my business partner own uh you know city 13s and stuff like that so we try to keep those near us um and like we have the 1303s and we send those out instead. Mm -hmm. um, man, and, you know, so there there are a few things like that that we try to hold on to. Um, there's a company in Austin called ATX Grip and they tend to rent our, um, our Mobi XL, uh, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, Texcam, our larger rental house in town, uh, tends to sub-rent our, Mo our Mobi Pro, like our RS2 kits and stuff like that. Um, mainly the gear that we have, we make sure to uh, accommodate the ACs. 
-hmm. So we tend to uh, buy every nook and cranny for these items. Uh, like our RS2, for example, you can get a very basic kit that just has the stand, or you can get a full ring system that has multiple counterweights and all the uh, cables and you know um, base plates and stuff like mm -hmm. that that you could really need. And so we try to do what we can to think about those aspects of the rental versus, you know, let's just let's just get a unit and put it on the table and say, you know what, screw the AC, because <laughs> we're the ones that are affected by it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like that approach a lot. Um, I did two interviews, one with Emmy um, from Emmyland in uh, in the UK, and the other with uh, Alex Ross, and also from the UK, and uh, they're both kind of like doing similar things. I mean, I think Emmy is really investing in more into the camera world uh, itself, but um, it is, I think, amazing when you can rent from a place like that where actual ACs that know what you need for certain items to make it usable. Because just because you have a gimbal doesn't mean that it will work with whatever it is you need to work with. Um, and so I think that it's a great approach um, and I would rather rent, we don't have that here in Germany, unfortunately, but I would rather rent from someone like you where I know is like this person knows what's, what's needed to make this work. Uh, whereas a rental house sometimes just like, I say, yeah, we bought, it. I mean, it's here. It's like, yeah, but it, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work if you don't add, uh, all these other items to it. Um, but yeah, that's, well, you should uh, see my rigging kit because of that. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it is a, uh, so you're in a very cool, uh, pretty unique position where you get to own and play around and test out so many toys that, uh, most of us can only dream of. Um, at this point, um, I, I wrote down here as one of my questions, battle of the fizzes, because I think you own pretty much all of the, uh, higher tier fizz units uh in the market currently except for maybe the the c pro um so d which did you start with and uh how did that develop and do you use one unit in particular or do you really switch depending on the job how do you what do you like the most how do you use it the most so uh mentioning the c pro um, that's the one unit I've been thinking about uh, trying to add to our inventory, um, mainly because of its fourth axis and uh, the usability. Uh, right now, it's just a little hard to buy into a whole new system because of all of the uh, multiple multitude of cables and stuff like that that go into uh, to adding, you know, a whole kit to the uh, inventory. Yeah it becomes like a a lot when you start getting all the cave into the, all the cables being 250 a pop yeah <laughs> um right now um we have two really complete kits of the preston uh follow focus systems and the uh the airy follow focus systems um the preston right now have everything from the single channel to a hu3 and the newer hu4 hand units uh, it comes, uh, you know, three, uh, gear, uh, three focus motors and, um, we have the light ranger system to go with it. Uh, right now only the LR2 and LR2W, uh, but we plan on, uh, inquire, uh, getting the LR2M as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that'll be a fun, uh, price tag on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
the Aries system, we have w, uh, two WCU4s and a Hi5 currently uh, on the shelf. Um, we have a, a UDM, and currently I'm demoing a Cine RT. Uh, and then, we, you know, we have UMC uh, three um, motors and like a C-Force RF to kind of go in uh, to finish out that kit. Mm. Um, and then I mentioned, I forgot to mention the... Preston has the MDR3 and the MDR4. So the reason why I say uh, list the gear is because the build-outs are significantly different. Um, we have the ability to run a, uh, a UMC4 uh, on the ARRI units, uh, but it's always... It's always important for me to mention that we have the ability to run it. We don't have to. Mm -hmm. Uh, versus the Preston unit, you have to run the MDR4 or the MDR3 in those uh, instances. So, um, what do I? As far as the question of what do I like to use, it depends on my uh, situation. Um, if I'm on long format and I'm mostly in studio, then you know, Light Ranger uh, becomes really appetizing to me, mm -hmm. <laughs> or appealing to me, I should say. Uh, and uh, doing, you know, if you're doing like a lot of walk-ups to camera and stuff like that, and you just kind of need to move through the day quickly, like, you know, I, I always press for the Light Ranger. Um, the more uh, lightweight we go, if we're doing a lot of gimbal work or, you know, even going even smaller and, you know, the DP's handheld the, the head of the camera or something like that, I tend to push uh, for uh, lighter weight systems like the Airy. Uh, and use like the UDM uh, or now the Cine RT since I'm uh, utilizing that one right now. Uh, and, you know, just so the build qu uh, quality is a bit smaller. Um, like if I'm doing docu-series work or something like that where we might be using anamorphics so that they can get their look. So the rig ends up being a little bit heavier. And if I were to add a whole Preston NDR system, you know, the whole rig gets uh, quite a bit heavier. So, mm -hmm. you know, we we switched to the airy system to save a little bit of weight and I can still use horns and stuff like that to get me, uh, the image or the uh, sharpness that I need. Yeah. Uh, it, I'm, I'm incredibly jealous of this setup. I have to say it. It's just, it's perfect. I mean, you know, you just, uh, pick and choose. I mean, I, I assume though, you still probably have to fight a battle every now and again with, uh, with, with the production or is it, are you in that kind of lucky spot where you can just say something, you know, this makes the most sense and that's what I want and then uh, and then you can rent it out? Or is that sometimes a, a struggle? Um, it becomes the battle of the rental houses, actually. So uh, it's it, it comes into, uh, let me take off your gear to put my gear on. Um, and I have to find ways to uh, justify that. Because if I'm taking their WCU4 off to put my WCU4 on, you know, like what am what am I actually changing out here? Because mm -hmm. uh, in 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 um, in actuality, the WCU four is gonna uh, function just like their WCU four, unless I can figure out a way to uh, um, upgrade mine. Mm. Um, so that's one of the reasons why upgrading to the Cine thirteen is because it puts a difference on the technology versus running their thirteen oh three. It's like well. Uh, the pixel density is different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get more sharpness and everything out of the Cine 13. So right now, I'd really like to use the Cine 13 to, you know, uh, to swap that out. So I have to be able to justify 
uh, those reasons because the rental house in town, uh, we, we have to, you have to have the, a relationship in which for us, since we're in a small town, I can't beat them over the back of the head with, you have to rent my gear kind of thing because then they're never going to make any money. Yeah. And we have to be supportive of our local rental house, uh, because, you know, they throw us jobs and we do the same and that's the line of work. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we have to work together and, you know, we all get paid at the end of the day with figuring out ways to kind of work, work the system in a sense. Yeah. Sounds like you got a pretty neat setup there in, uh, in Houston. Uh, yeah, it's taken quite a few years to figure it out and find a happy medium. Cause you know, at first we wanted to come in, you know, all guns blazing. Like we wanted to take all the rentals and stuff like that. But you know, at the end of the day, if, the rental house isn't making any money, they can't be supported and they have a huge overhead. You know, there's all these little factors that you start learning uh, after you talk about it and stuff like that. And, you know, for the longest time, they weren't really um, uh, appealing uh, or uh, accepting towards us uh, working with them because we were the competition. But at the same time, we were trying to figure out ways that we want to work with you. We don't want to work against you. Like, mm. we're not here to be a rental house. We're here to be an AC you know, support line, so to say. And um, it's been really um, interesting to go through the experience and learn, uh, learn where you're overstepping your bounds and where, you know, to kind of tread the thin line to keep the relationship going, so to say. And now kind of because of it, uh, we've expanded into our own building, uh, set up our own prep bay, uh, so to say. And now we're trying to figure out ways to improve you know, beyond that and see what we can do to start getting ACs and, uh, to the office and doing their own preps. Like, uh, today, for example, I have a, uh, a really green AC that's going to come by and I'm going to allow him to build out our, uh, Komodo, mm -hmm. um, put any, you know, focus gears and stuff like that. And I want to be there working on some stuff. So just kind of available. If he has any questions, I'm just going to stick out my head like, yeah, you can do it like this, 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 and, you know, build it up and then allow him to break it down and get trying to start getting that experience of what all, what it goes into building up a camera, breaking it down and seeing what the kids start looking like and whatnot. So, yeah. But that's very you know, cool. Opportunities. I'm, yeah. And I'm glad we touched on this because it's a, uh, uh, I guess there's a very valuable lesson in there. You, I mean, you, you know, you start your own company, like whatever it is, and uh, eventually you're going to probably have to start learning how to play the political game um, within your local film community as well so uh well i mean it's not only that i mean you're learning how to run a business yeah you have to figure out you know working with your comptroller you have to you know talk to the state about getting certain licenses like it's way more than i ever thought that <laughs> it would be i mean even going from a partnership to an llc was a huge step for us and then figuring out the banking uh figuring out budgeting like it becomes interesting because yeah. <laughs> it can really take up a whole lot of your time if you're uh, not looking at it. Yeah. I mean, going everything from creating invoices and, you know, stuff like that while you're creating your, uh, you know, your camera uh, lists for the job and stuff like that for um, or your camera orders for the, the week. Yeah. So it can be fun. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, cool. Let's uh, let's jump back onto the um, while we were at the you know we were talking about the physis, um, and you already touched on the whole uh, light ranger versus cinerity thing. Um, you are currently bit, yeah. c 
currently working with the CineRT a lot. Um, I uh, you just said it, and I also get it from your Instagram. Um, what do you? Wh how do you like the CineRT so far, and how do you think the the two systems compete? So uh, I use the UDM a lot because my um, I try to keep my builds fairly compact, mm -hmm. uh, mainly because I end up on these like docu series commercials or docu commercials i should say where we're, we're rolling out the cards and the operators you know handheld on the easy rig for about 30 minutes at a time so mm -hmm. i tried a way to compromise my you know the, the weight of the build somehow to get a little bit of what i need for, and a little bit of what the operator needs um so when i got the cinear t It was basically the upgrade that I've been wanting from the UDM for the longest time because for the for me trying to be quick and in the moment moment on these uh, handheld series like all I get to do is basically throw the UDM on there and set it to uh, one setting. So if I have to move it for a long zoom lens, I tend to just keep it where it is, so I don't have to make you know the the slight adjustment. I changed my. Uh, my focal, uh, my offset, mm -hmm. um, at that point. So the Cine RT changes all that, uh, with the ability to have the remote on you and change, uh, your, your, your focus plane, uh, or your film plane, uh, to the offset. Yeah. So trying to change that, uh, offset, uh, I, you can do it on the fly and that really, uh, opens up the possibilities of, you know, what a ultrasonic um, distance measure can be. And so the reason I've been using the CineRT is I've been demoing it, uh, trying to, you know, get an understanding of how it works, how it's different from the UDM and how it integrates uh, eventually with the High Five uh, and, you know, seeing what the possibilities are uh, there. Uh, so, like I said, basically the CineRT, uh, I'm using it as a demo and I'm keeping it on the camera mainly for the weight aspect of it. Um, the Light Ranger, however, is infrared laser technology and it's highly uh, accurate when it comes to the readouts and stuff like that. So it comes down to, like I was saying a little bit earlier, uh, what the uh, the intent, what the subject uh, is going to actually be. Um, LR2 and LR2W, uh, LR2W uh, meaning a wider lens, mm -hmm. uh, going for wider focal lengths. Um, like when you're stepping into the large format uh, range, it kind of goes from the widest large format uh, lens up to potentially a 50 millimeter, uh, if not a 35 millimeter, uh, before the, um, the readout display uh, that you have um, starts becoming too small. Mm -hmm. um, so. Cine RT is an ultrasonic um, uh, style uh, unit, uh, so it bounces off the uh, um, the subject and bounces back to uh, the unit, and that's how it gets its readings. The Light Ranger basically, I believe, have 16 lasers that kind of shoot out and read the environment for what it is, and then on your uh, monitor you get, uh, I think, 16 bars spread out across your uh, monitor and each bar is basically reading a different part of the uh, environment and it gives you a different readout. Mm. So as soon as the subject sits in there, you can see, uh, you know, if you're on a 35, roughly six to eight feet away, uh, you can kind of see around the subject um, 
in, in the background and uh, and what that's reading, and then you can see what the the subject is reading mm -hmm. as well, and you can you know pull very accurately uh, to both of those settings versus a CityRT or the UDM will just read uh, the subject that's in front of you yeah. unless you um, tell it to you know ignore the uh, ignore the the subject closest to you basically and then start behind it or something yeah um, exactly and the uh, the light ranger has something uh, similar as well but you know just kind of it kind of opens up the possibilities i say mm -hmm. i th i think what i really like about the CineRT is that it it helps me when uh, an actor is moving and uh, i just get uh, a sense of like where they're where are they moving and where do they come to to a halt or a stop um but i do believe if you really look for detail and and accuracy in within the image uh, i would assume the light ranger probably does a better job but like how how good is it when you're like really close on a face or something like will it actually show you like if you're on the eyes the the tip of the nose is already like out of focus will it will it indicate that to you that you're that you know like right now the eyes are sharp is that is it that accurate yeah it could be that accurate it it all comes into how you change the offset mm -hmm. uh, and how you set up your you know those measurements at that point um and then you can kind of fine tune it through the um the vou units um uh settings at that point um for me though I tend to uh, look through the monitor at that point mm -hmm. when we're getting into the fine details of the eyes and stuff like that. Okay. Um, it's not often that you're gonna you're gonna be here and then you're gonna pull out, you know, to a to a wide or something like that, and that kind of changes the aspect of it because then, you know, kind of relying more on the light ranger when you're you're, you're doing something from uh, that close up on <laughs> on the eyelid at that point. Um, well, and then you also have the bars that are um, going to be on your VOU unit. Um, so for some people, that can be a little bit distracting when you're that close on a subject oh. versus if you're doing um, like over-the-shoulder coverage and stuff like that, trying to hold as someone walks up uh, and you don't have any marks or anything like that, and you're shooting wide open. Oh. <laughs> uh, those are instances where uh, I, I find that the, the Light Ranger is... Uh, very 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 helpful <laughs> okay do you do you sometimes use both uh systems on one shoot when you know it's like you know we have a uh whatever a track day on one day and then the next day it's going to be like all close-ups uh in a studio or like a lot of walk-ups uh if there's someone presenting or something like that um do you then tend to switch out the systems or like once you've decided on a system for a job you just stick with it I tend to stick with uh, a system per job uh, mainly. I can't because I can't double up on the rentals um, no. for it, so I kind of have to bring it out on my own accord. Um, I will swap between the LR two and the LR two W, just because number they give me you know the wider uh, field of view uh, for the head unit. Um, but other than that, uh, I haven't. Until this, uh, I received a CineRT, I haven't really had the ability to run two at the same time. Um, but they were gracious enough to send me the Preston uh, MDR uh, cables as well. So that'll be something that we'll be trying out soon. Oh, Thanks cool. for the idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, remind me real quick, because I, 
I had a Cinetape or a UDM for one shoot once, and it's been a long time, and I don't remember exactly one of them, and I believe it's the Cinetape. I think the Cinetape only runs with that little control unit connected at all times, so you kind of have to find a place for that, right? And the UDM doesn't. You can you can plug it in, change the settings, and then you can take it off again. Is that correct? Correct. Um, unfortunately, the downfall is that Aerie does send you a five-foot-long cable <laughs> when for the uh, Aerie cable uh, for the air the connection between the UDM and the serial port. Uh, so, uh, me and Andreas, we um, we bought two. And we got one customized to about 1.5 feet. Okay. Um, so we, you have that shorter run on Alexa uh, uh, mini uh, ca uh, cameras and stuff like that. But, you know, and that's kind of like the difference. Because if you go to the local rental house, you get you end up with the five-foot-long cable. But if you go through us, you get the one foot 1.5-foot cable or you get the five-foot cable. Whichever one you want. <laughs> uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, something to comment on with the Light Ranger versus the Cine RT um, also. Um as a focus puller, it this light ranger adds more to your focus pulling station because you have to run the VOU unit and you have to power it as well. Versus the Cine RT, you have the readout which you would charge before the shoot, um, and then you have your your hand unit. So there's a little bit more to run with the light ranger and. So that kind of depends on the shoots that I do. If we're running gun, then the Light Ranger might not be useful because the only way for me to use it is to put all that stuff on my person, and I don't really like carrying all the weight usually. Mm -hmm. um, I have developed a chest rig to be able to do this, um, but I try to do that more for uh, short runs, uh, like narrative work when you're going to do a take real quick, and they're like, cool, all right, and put some stuff down while they reset for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, versus running 30 minutes at a time, you know, constantly uh, carrying it, moving, running uh, and stuff like that. I've done some things where um, you're at an event and you're just constantly on the move. So you have to, everything ends up have to be on you versus your, your, your monitor stand. So mm -hmm. uh, these, these situations all go into me choosing which, um, focus device I, I'm going to use as well. Um, so just wanted to add that out there. It's, it's not just about which one's better, it's what, which one's efficient and which one makes my job easier in the mm -hmm. long run versus, you know, what's what's better for me in the short run. Uh, it makes sense. And it's also, I believe that you, uh, you kind of do everything, right? You do commercials, features, um, uh, like you said, like kind of like the docu style commercials. Um, so anything. yeah, I mean, I go where I go where the work pays me, <laughs> and then it's all it's all different style of work. So you just kind of have to conform to each style, um, and it just kind of it, it it yeah. So your your setup just has to be different and mm -hmm. accommodating. That's why it's not it's not Preston or Airy. It's both. <laughs> Absolutely, it, <laughs> so it is both. If you're in that very lucky uh, place where you are, where you can decide between the two of them, then it's amazing. Uh, for us here in Germany, I have to say it's it's airy because uh, you know there is there is no press. I mean, there might be, but it's not really a big thing. It's not like you rock up to a rental house and go like, "Hey, I would like to uh, have a Preston for this one." They're gonna be like, uh, "Yeah, cool, good for you. Uh, good luck finding one." <laughs> um, so unfortunately, it's not that easy to find one. But uh, yeah, it's it's airy all the way, which is is not bad 
Um, and to me, uh, you know, that's why it was one of the reasons I bought a CineRT because I knew, uh, well, back in Germany, yeah, it's going to make sense to just have a CineRT because it connects with uh, any sort of ARI system. And luckily, um, when they announced the High Five, I was like, oh, cool, they're integrating more of the of the CineRT, so that helps uh, in the future. But yeah, uh, one more question that I have, because you have done a feature film, I think not too long ago i think you were in the desert somewhere in new mexico if i remember correctly uh would you say i mean obviously there's a difference between feature films and every now and again the style kind of changes but for like a classic feature film would you would you say there's there's one system that you would prefer over the other like just in terms of feature films so it's funny you bring that up because uh the first feature i did airy and then the second feature i did preston mm -hmm. actually um, mainly because the environments um, called for the particular tool mm -hmm. um, that we we're running at the at the at, in the moment. For the first one, I was out in a ranch in um, uh, out in New Mexico, uh, and I would uh, have I was on we were on Airy uh, systems running cut glass, and I was jumping between studio mode to Airy Trinity mode, mm -hmm. um, and to make my life easier. My build out on the Airy uh, was significantly smaller, uh, and so I wanted to run uh, the Airy unit so I can have a more compact uh, setup. Mm -hmm. uh, so when we did the the switch out from running Studio to Trinity, it didn't take me but maybe five minutes to be able to rip everything off and shove it into the hole before we were ready. Mm. Um, versus the second feature, we were uh, on Steadicam, so. Uh, and then we didn't have much time for any, well, both features, we didn't have much time for resets or anything like that because we were always jamming our days. Yeah. Um, but our setups uh, were called for uh, Preston units, basically, and we were able to run Light Ranger uh, at the time, mainly because we were on steady uh, full-size Steadicam um, and they were able to balance out their rigs at that point. Uh, without having to compromise really on the build much other than the handle. Mm -hmm. um, so I ran Preston at that point uh, and we weren't, it was a Hallmark movie, so we weren't uh, running around in the ranch. We were in the small town in Natchez, Texas. So, you know, I was able to have my monitor uh, fairly close uh, to the set and out of the way versus uh, the first feature uh, out in the ranch uh, when we would step outside um, Sometimes we would be, you know, walking alongside uh, doing Trinity stuff and following uh, the talent as they're walking into the abyss. And, you know, you can't roll your monitor <laughs> yeah. on the, uh, out on the ranch. So, you know, it would have to come out on uh, the stuff would have to come on me. And it was easier to run just the, the focus monitor, the Teradek battery and the hand unit versus the monitor, the VOU unit and XYZ. And then, you know, making it efficient to jump, you know, between the, the setups was uh, highly important because mm -hmm. um, on the first feature, we were dealing with kid talent, which was our main talent. So we had, I think, five hours of shooting time per day with them. Um, I could be wrong on that, but it was <laughs> they had many breaks that they would send them away so we can do these full resets and then call them in shoot for a few more hours and then be like all right our day's done 
Yeah. So it was it was one of those like when we did make the switch, we had to make it really efficiently and quickly, and we just couldn't really spend the time um, hammering over our heads like how do I how do I mount the uh, the Light Ranger? <laughs> it was also I should add one of those situations where the Trinity wasn't invited to prep, uh, which would have changed uh, a lot of things instead of having to build it on the uh, first day yeah. uh, of the shoot day. Versus the second uh, feature, the Steadicam mount was invited to prep, uh, and I was able to build out, you know, the Light Ranger and everything on that on that rig, and so a few di- differences in there of kind of flying blind versus kind of kind of knowing in a sense. Yeah, uh, and uh, one last question on the on the fist topic: uh, Do you do you think there is a difference in terms of um, signal reliability between uh, the the new Airy system, the High Five system, and the and the Preston still? Because I think that was one of the biggest selling points for Preston over the years is that it's generally more reliable than than Airy's unit. Well, see, that's a really open ended topic because it depends on what situation you're running both situations in. Because uh, if you're running, you know your hand unit with a UMC, then it's just like running a Preston with a NDR in my opinion. Mm. Um, but Aerie offers the ability to offer options because uh, you can't run a Preston with just a, a Mini. Uh, I think uh, right now you can run it with the DX, uh, the Preston with the DXL2 and it has integrated um, an integrated MDR. Uh, but I haven't really been able to work with the, that system much to be able to understand its um, its uh, radio connectivity and stuff like that mm. uh, to really give it a, a, a good um, uh, comparison between the two. Um, but every every um, every comparison that I've heard uh, between the Airy units and the Preston units, it's always that the Preston units are running an, an external MDR. And the area units are usually running the uh, the the radio through the onboard um, Alexa Mini or the Alexa Mini LF uh, integrated uh, antenna at that point. Yeah. Um, it's either that or you use like an RF motor, but you know at least you still have like a very. T- I mean, the motor is just slightly bigger than a regular motor, but it's um, still much smaller and more lightweight than using um, an external kind of brain that you have to put on there. Yeah, so like it, it just kind of depends on uh, what situation you're running it in, because um, you can definitely run a booster uh, on the the mini, and that kind of becomes like your external brain uh, boosting that signal to your hand unit, and I've found really really good responses in and running it like that. You could definitely run that booster. I'm pretty sure on a Preston MDR and really extend your range if you wanted to, but you're already running the MDR, so you really don't need to run it uh, an external external mm-hmm. <laughs> antenna at that point um so it kind of runs down to that preston just doesn't offer the ability to run a motor with an integrated radio built inside of it and that's the real um the real lack of options that preston uh provides that airy does and so you know all these all these options that airy does provide they do inquire um have variables that you know do work for them and do not work for them uh so sometimes the radio signal uh, may be lacking in some situations um but if you understand the situations you can accommodate it mm-hmm. and prepare for it uh, at prep um but do you think that 
if you run an airy system with a UMC4, uh, does that help reliability uh, or signal re reliability uh, in your experience? Yes, because you're basically running an MDR4 like a Preston would. Okay, because I, I never tried... I don't think I ever tried the UMC4 for anything, to be honest. And th and that's and that's the biggest. I guess that's the answer that I usually get when I ask people. It's like, well, they're like, well, Preston's better signal wise than the Airy. It's like, well, have you run an Airy with the UMC4? And they're mm -hmm. like, no. Well, then I was like, well, if you do, you probably have a way better uh, chance of getting that uh, responsiveness that you would want. It's like when they say the Airy units, uh, the Airy motors are slower than the uh, the Preston motors. It's like. I understand. I understand that um, comparison too, because right now you're doing the LBUS technology, so you're taking the voltage and you're daisy chaining it between multiple motors, versus if you're running the UMC4 and you ran a CLN3 motor, which is uh, Aries' most powerful motor, mm. uh, then you're doing the direct current into that one motor and you're getting that uh, torque that you're looking for, um, comparing it to like the the Preston's DM1X at that mm -hmm, point. Mm -hmm. Not saying it's the same torque or anything like that, but that's how you get um, the motor response out of the same systems by putting it in the same situation versus mm -hmm. uh, taking an op taking a unit and then comparing it at its worst uh, worst signal reliability, but at its best option uh, scenario versus having to accommodate um, a huge Preston system for example. Okay, that's very interesting. And do you, uh, is the, uh, because you probably uh, own both, <laughs> is the UMC4 uh, pretty much as large as the MDR4? Or are they significantly different? Well, the MD, uh, MDR4 is smaller than the UMC4, but the MDR3 is larger than the UMC4. Yeah. Um, but the MDRs are basically boxes, and then you have like a, a recalibrate button and then everything else is ports the umc4 has ports as well as a display mm -hmm. um, so as far as mounting it it becomes a little bit different um, because in my opinion you want the display to be able to show on the umc4 versus the mdr you can just kind of slap it on there and then you know uh, run the cables and, and you're good okay um And then the difference also being is, you know, you get camera control from the UMC4 um, and, you know, you can get settings and stuff like that versus you uh, mainly usually get start and stop only from the Preston system. So I, I guess I should send that back as well. Um, the difference is between the Preston and the, uh, the area units um, when running in like running gun situations and, and stuff like that, like I like to have camera control uh, at, at my fingertips because you know the operator's running trying to catch it up and he's yelling, you know, I saw what 1000 white balance 6500 and you're you know running bound and you can make these changes versus like, all right, stop, 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 hold on, let me get to the camera and you know do it. I mean, there's other options you can pull it out on your phone and and you know do it that way, um, but the ability to be able to do it with one unit on the fly, you know, those are just a little bit differences and, you know, the, the reasons going with the Preston and the Airy, um, you know, the, these little, these abilities and these options kind of make it really large at the end of the day when you have the ability to push at the tip of your finger and make changes. 
I'm glad we talked about this. Uh, I'm going to try out that UMC4 now. That's uh, it's actually a pretty good point. I mean, it makes total sense. Thank, thank you, Brian. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, do some do some distance tests and you know you know try it out between the the UMC4, the actual airy body, and the um, the Seaforce RF because you're you're gonna you're gonna see some some differences in there, and then make sure you put some variables in the way and you know untwist some antennas and stuff like that. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna see some fun stuff. Uh, that's what's really fun about owning a few different systems is you're able to throw them up um, in, a, in a closet, basically, and then just like, all right, I'm going to take these units and I'm going to walk outside and see what situations, you know, I'm going to get the worst RF interference in and stuff like that. Yeah. And then now, like, RF um, spectrum analyzers and stuff like that are becoming more available to us and being able to see real-time on these uh, instruments and, and watching what the, the radio frequency environments are doing around you is going to be one of those things where I think that's going to become a new position on set one day here soon. <laughs> no, so. Actually, actually, I think you might be right. I mean, given that uh, the the whole lighting department is running on, on the same frequencies these days and uh, audio as well, so it's it's getting crowded for sure. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. It's very interesting. And I also think one of the real advantages of like owning these units is because uh, when I prep for a movie I go to a rental house I have two or three prep days at the rental house I have to make sure that everything works within those two or three days uh, and then I'm on set and then uh, and then I have to live with the consequences of whatever it is that uh, that I have in my hands um, and uh, for example like I'm kind of I've never used the high five on a job I got to play around with it a little bit but uh, never actually had it out on set and it, I would be kind of nervous about it just because I couldn't really work out the the bugs or kinks uh, before the 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 day the first day on set actually comes, and then I'd be a little afraid to be like, uh, okay, I got a problem now and I don't really know what it is, uh, where it's coming from and how to solve it. So it's gonna take a few minutes. Um, and I think if you own the the unit, you can, like you said, just you know go outside and do a few basic tests and uh you you know once a problem arises on set you probably have seen it before so so you know that's a that's a good point and those are very valid uh points as well uh, between the hu4 and the high five though um i actually got them in the midst of shooting okay <laughs> uh so it was one of those situations where i couldn't take it out and go test uh, and the only way to actually put it to use was to use it in the field um, so in those situations, I made sure to have both units on the, uh, on the monitor, so to say. Yeah. Uh, and so one would have a battery and just be on standby and the other one would be working. And if I ran into a situation where I didn't know the menus or something similar, like I would, you know, jump to the other unit, for example, but, yeah. uh, to, to basically start, you know, I, I would, I would have uh, the HU3 or the WCU4, and I would, that would be my main unit. And while that's going and in between setups, I would go through like the high five menu or the HU4 menu, and I would learn in the field um, these units. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm actively uh, engaged with the unit. I'm seeing the real life situations in which, you know, the unit would be useful and stuff like that. And then, you know, after lunch or a couple hours later, I would kind of switch to that unit and then kind of integrate it into uh, the workflow at that point. Uh, and then just kind of be aware of uh, situations where you might run into a bug or anything like that. Um, 
one of the big ones that I found for the high five was actually a um, uh, when when you if you had a WCU four as your iris unit, for example, and you turned off the WCU four, it would kick uh, the pre-marked ring on the high five off, oh. and you would have to take off the uh, pre-marked ring and, and reset it. Yeah. I couldn't figure out for a long time what was going on there, and in one situation. Uh, it ha- uh, we were doing a long zoom push in and it happened and it looked like I, you know, <laughs> totally botched the focus pull. And I was like, no, no, I, 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 that, that was not me. And luckily I was on a show where, uh, they were understanding and we could just redo the, the shot, uh, for example. But, uh, luckily Aerie was really, really responsive and we worked out a way to, uh, get a hot fix, uh, for the situation. And, we, um, you know, the next week or so. Like it was all fixed and I had no problems after that. Oh, cool. uh, but also being thrown into these situations and then just having to understand like what's going on and in the situations that we were thrown into, I think is actually quite enjoyable because it helps me become a better technician mm-hmm. uh, and understand the technology and, and the challenges that these manufacturers are going through to, to provide perfection for us as technicians. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it's also, I think at this point, it's very cool. Like you, you see it with uh, CineRT and then, you know, obviously through the Focus Pull at Work uh, forum, it's just a great place where you can reach out quickly to companies and like tell them that you have a problem. And uh, like, especially with CineRT, just because I had it uh, a few weeks ago where I had a problem and uh, Laird responded within hours. And it's just like, wow, like he sits on the other side of the world and I can just ask him a question because I have a problem and he responds that quickly. It's... Uh, that is pretty cool. Um, let's customer support for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's move on though, because uh, you already uh, told us that you're using a Cine 13 uh, small HD monitor. Um, I have a general question for you uh, about your monitors, because I believe you only use small HD monitors. Um, what are the general settings that you like, um, or are you someone you know you don't use any peaking, or like what? What do you generally do and how much do you make a difference between, say, using a five inch monitor and a 13 inch monitor in terms of your settings? Uh, so I, uh, I run between a five inch, um, a 503, a 703 and a 1303 usually. And then I upgraded to the Cine 13, um, mainly because of the pixel dif- density difference between the 1303 and the Cine 13. Uh, the Cine 13 gives me... Um, Roughly the same pixel density across the 703 and the 503, and which are smaller, um, uh, you know, monitors at that point. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so between all three monitors, I tend to run peaking, and then I have um, the focus assist option as well. Um, however, I don't usually ever run the focus assist option. Um, my setup is actually. Uh, I turn the focus assist all the way down and I've set it to uh, about one or set it to one and then I turn the image black and white mainly because I don't rely on the focus assist as a whole. Mm-hmm. I like the ability to turn the image black and white when you get into situations where the image is just uh, blown out with so many different color variations and stuff like that. Uh, as a focus puller, you're not there to watch the movie. You're there to tell the story through focus. And so it's a way for me to get out of the distraction and go to what the real my job is and focus on the subject. 
Um, and then I tend to run peaking at 10%, uh, 10 points. I don't know what the, the dial is actually. And then I kind of go, uh, I never go up past 20. Um, I, and I, but if I ever raise it from there, I go to about 15 for softer lenses, mm-hmm. um, mainly kind of depending on the shot and the workflow that we're set into. Um, but yeah, mainly it's, uh, peaking that I run, uh, only, okay. uh, and exclusively. And then, the, and then I change the brightness to kind of compensate for the environment, which I find helps a lot. Yes. Um, it's interesting that you say that because I, um, I use the focus assist, uh, in the very same way, um, set to level one and with a black and white background, um, exactly. Because sometimes I think I said this on a podcast before, but last year I had a DP who shot pretty much everything at the same color temperature. And so every now and again, the picture would just be like incredibly yellowy, orangey. It actually, it just like after a couple hours into the day, my eyes would just hurt almost just because it was hard to like mm-hmm. focus on the actual person that is supposed to be in focus. And that's, and that's when I think the, the black and white thing is, uh, is amazing. I wish there was a black and white function without any sort of like focus assist where you just really have black and white uh, integrated into your peaking uh, settings basically um, yeah. and but do you make a difference between uh, say you're peaking on a 5 inch and a 13 inch is that or do you run about the same because I got to run my kind of like dream setup uh, last week with a 5 inch and a 13 inch and I f- the 1303 and I think on the 1303 I had to crank up the peaking to like 10 where I was on my 5 inch I was on like 1 or 2 but I, I it made a huge difference on, on those two Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was one of the main, uh, and that's why I tell everybody, one of the main reasons to jump from the 1303 to the Cine 13 is the pixel density difference in it. Uh, your images will appear a lot sharper for uh, at the cost of less you know, peaking and less uh, setting bump mm-hmm. uh, at that point. Uh, it's, it's a phenomenal jump and it makes uh, your life so much easier. Um, rather than kind of squinting to make sure that everything's uh, sharp when you're looking at your five inch, you're like, well, why does it look so much better? <laughs> Basically, it's all those pixels, you know, condensed yeah. down uh, into a smaller format, uh, which makes it easier to see versus the 1303. They had a, the spread amount uh, wider um, to make it um, to make the technology at the time fit on the screen that they had available. Mm-hmm. Uh, now with the 4K, you get way more pixels and way more all that other jazz i'm not gonna get super technical into it because that's not my (laughs) forte um but they've they've basically enhanced the uh the technology to provide uh, a lot more ability in the the cine 13. um so i tend to just keep them relatively the same across platforms the i might you know dial them up and down depending on the lenses um but i just kind of I found something that works for me and I kind of just stick with that. Um, I know uh, the same thing, uh, we should probably lower the the peaking just like we sh- I should be probably watching the action and pulling my eye. But, you know, the situations we run into are ever changing and having the ability to ch- choose a variable that, you know, works is what I find, you know, as long as it's sharp, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what you're doing to get there. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get hired if it's soft. (laughs) I've heard of focus pullers, believe it or not, who like don't look at a monitor at all. I mean, I can't believe they exist, but you know, I've heard of them. I mean, (laughs) maybe that's a thing. I've I've seen an action and and something very awesome. And, you know, I commend them for doing that. Um, 
I just don't want to put my reputation on the line to uh, stroke my ego to pull uh, to not pull off a monitor at this point. Yeah, um, it, it's just something that I've I've come to accept that this is going to be the way that I pull, and if anybody has a problem with it, I'll conform my pulling ability to um, adjust to the situation at hand versus y'all having to conform to me. Um, and you know, there's situations where I've been into where you don't have the monitor, and then you know, you have to put that in, into practice and, you know, yeah. like just like pulling on film and you're like, all right, we're going to walk down the street. We're on steady cam, Go for it. And you're like, all right, cool. I'll use the city tape and you use other uh, items at that at your disposable to get the focus um, sharp. So um, right now with the age, the age of uh, docu-series commercials using real people and running and not wanting to interrupt these real people and just letting them run through these situations and running out cards and stuff like that. Um, I've been more relying on a, um, uh, a frame size to subject ratio style of pooling uh, mm-hmm. versus relying on the actual monitor peaking and stuff like that as a whole. Um, so you're being able just to see... Um, the difference and uh, being able to gauge like how far away the subject is in frame versus your film plane and start getting an idea. It's like, all right, well, that's about five feet for that subject. And then as they walk in, you're being able to judge, you know, how the frame size is changing to where your focus should be at that point. And that's become really vital uh, for me when pulling in gimbal work where, you know, you're thrown into the other room because the gimbal uh, started here and it ran through this whole entire um, maze of uh, cubicles, for an example. And you just you start losing that relation of where the subject is and all you can focus on is uh, your image in front of you. And, you know, you're not able to look up and see, like, there's my operator over there. So you have to figure out other ways in which uh, to utilize these tools. And so something I've been developing for myself for a few years is the the subject to frame ratio with pulling oh, very cool uh, uh, interesting and it's also i think it's very interesting that you just said um you kind of you know you you accepted that uh looking at a monitor is the way you pull focus these days because i had looking that through same a monitor or look yeah <laughs> makes sense <laughs> um but i had that same thought of like well it's just uh, for a while i was thinking well you know, maybe I should learn how to like pull old school and um, because so many people talk about it and, and, and it seems to be the, the, the cool and the right way. And then I also came to the conclusion. It's like, no, I just I need to accept that that's the style that I've uh, developed and I um, and it works for me. And I think as long as you find a way that that works, um, whatever the settings are, whatever the tools are, um, you know, if you don't have to look at a monitor, awesome. Like, um, you know, it's really good. But uh, I I think I need it uh, also as like a storytelling kind of kind of tool. Um, and yeah, I think it's you just have to accept that. Well, it's it, your style. It, it, it helps in different scenarios because like when you get into this docu style, uh, you're on a, like, for example, I was doing a, a documentary on some high school basketball players um, at their school and stuff like that. And the operator was on the sidelines of the court shooting 140 millimeter anamorphic across the court and he would do these shots and then he would kind of, you know, pan slightly to the left and, you know, I would have to change focus. And I'm like, me being able to 
be in this situation and pull by eye, like I can't tell what my operator's uh, pointing when you know he's literally doing a, a twenty degree um, uh, pan to the left. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to get that sharp, uh, you know, wide open in those situations because you know you're I'm on a 140 millimeter anamorphic, so what T3 uh, in a basketball court scenario. So it's not like the best lighting or anything like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. So. You know, you're shooting wide open in these situations. You ha you need to have something to help tell, help you get the focus. I mean, commercials, narrative, and stuff like that, where you have these situations where you're actually going to do rehearsals and whatnot. Like, by all means, you know, I can see you pulling by eye, you know, all day. And, but when when WFO, when you large format, when yeah. <laughs> you know you don't know what's going to happen, like I, I, I want to see people uh, pull sharps the whole entire time by eye in those situations. <laughs> um, one thing I love seeing on your um, seeing on your Instagram, you you probably have every single Redworks uh, part there is, um, and you always build like these really cool, um, what do you like a chainsaw handle or 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 a machine gun setup or whatever uh, whatever the cool kids call it these days what what do you use the most um and like if if someone was to buy into the whole redworks uh like like someone like me say for example who doesn't own any any part of redworks yet um what would you recommend to start with um so i tend to like you said i I've, have quite a few items from redworks uh that he's made for me and my my red, as most people have seen yeah. <laughs> on the rigs. Um, when I found Ratworks on Instagram, um, he was making the side plate and the cube bar at the time. For the uh, Alexa Mini, right? For the Alexa Mini. And now he's developed into handles to, uh, or to, I should say, top handles of the camera to, uh, you know, now rosette style um, uh, rod base handles and and so much more. It's really cool to see this guy really be creative and really you know just go for the moon as far as uh, gear specialization and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, one of the early earlier things I bought was his frog uh, clip as well, uh, and I've still used that uh, piece today. Um, those are the main items that I've I've bought early on maybe three four years ago at this point and still are using quite often um, I upgraded to his Alexa uh, mini um, side plate that has the three millimeter uh, screws uh, into the rib cage basically yeah so um, basically the, the integrated side plate so that you just uh, swap out the uh, exactly whatever MSB2 um, or whatever it is and then that uh, just kind of opened up a, a few more options um, it made it all one unit versus a screw into another plate, uh, for, in my opinion, making it a more solid build. Uh, so I can kind of, I can put a, a handle into that, that plate versus being a little skeptical of putting, uh, you know, something else into that plate and, and running it all through there. Yeah. Um, more security in my sense, four screws versus two. Um, right now, my favorite item is the Ratworks uh, top handle. Um, I went ahead and bought the, the whole entire system uh, mainly because uh, I was running into these situations where operators were starting to use the battery to control the uh, pan and tilt sometimes of the uh, of the image uh, mm -hmm. of the camera. 
and uh, in some situations you get you have the power cut out. Uh, so I was looking for a way to help prevent uh, that from happening, and mm-hmm. I like to put a handle in the way now. Um, initially, I had the chainsaw handle, and I wanted to work it in front, uh, as you would uh, a regular chainsaw. Uh, lumberjacks. Woo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Texan. <laughs> but I was finding that the monitor placement um, that I was ending up with would run into the uh, the handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was finding that operators, when they're, when they're on the easy rig, um, they needed a handle that was separate from the spider grips um, that were in play. And it needed to be displaced to kind of where the battery was because they were using the battery to stabilize a little bit of the image. So I offered the uh, handle slightly next to it to kind of offer that stability and uh, that hand grip that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been accepted in some situations and in um, other situations uh, it, it has not because uh, they still go for the battery or you know, it's a training process because they're conform the operators are conforming to a new way. Mm-hmm. Uh, most operators end up liking it at the end of the day, but there was an older operator that was like, no, take off all this stuff. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. I tried. Yeah. Yeah. You can only so offer so much. It's, it's not for every, yeah, it's not for everybody. Um, there's a few, uh, cool things I'm pitching to, uh, Ed at Ratworks to make, uh, hopefully they uh, he accept that accepts these ideas and makes some time. Uh, I know he's a busy guy. He's got all these uh, new things in the works. I'm sure. Um, the uh, one other thing that I use exclusively now is the um, the rangefinder mount. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can plug in the horns. You can plug in the uh, the light ranger right into the the for, uh, this on the the top 15 millimeter rail uh, slot. Oh. on the top of your camera and just go straight to rails versus having an arm go across the camera or something similar. But that's uh, while we're on that, how do you use that uh, when you use it for uh, with the Cine RT? Uh, can, you, can you take out that 15 millimeter rod? The 15 millimeter rod is removable and okay. I tend to add a small rig EVF uh, mount okay. uh, because you also put um, airy, airy pins all over the, that mount. So you can just yes. screw in there and uh, it's universal at that point. I use all <laughs> Use it for both the Cine RT, UDM, and uh, the Light Ranger at this point. And that's good to know because I was wondering about that because um, I I think that would make sense for most uh, with the Cine RT for me uh, for for most Alexa uh, Mini or Mini LF builds just because you can probably slide it on right like out of the two 15 millimeter rods that come out of the MAP uh, two top plate. So I t- uh, I I've acquired a uh, set of bright tangerine uh, six inch rods, and I tend to swap out those um, uh, mini uh, black rods yeah. and add the the bright tangerine because number one they're lighter, yeah. <laughs> and number two I get I get a longer range so I can slide the uh, the Cine RT and stuff yes. further to the uh, mat box at that yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of depends on how you want to you know set up your your rig, uh, but that's what I tend to do. Okay. Um, very cool. I think that's, uh, I'm going to have to convince my wife to, uh, buy more things. It's just, I actually told her I wouldn't (laughs) spend any money this year, but I I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, Uh, there's always little nicks and knacks that I find myself like, all right, like the Lucini lens menu, for example, it's like a $200 book. I'm like, (sighs) 
But it's a tax write-off, right? <laughs> it is. Plus, it's also, I really think, you know, for $200 with that book, I think you gain so much knowledge. Um, that is probably an entire college course over like a couple of years. Uh, so it, it makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Um, you had the Rawa handle use um, right here as a question. Yes, um, um, because I, I use some Rova parts um, myself. Oh, Rova, and, sorry. And, oh, yeah, whatever. I think, I think Rova is how they uh, pronounce it in German, but uh, that sounds terrible. So Rova is, uh, is way cooler. Um, but you use their, uh, their T handle, basically, uh, I've seen on Instagram. Uh, in, in in any particular way, or like, are you just playing around with it? And does it, does it, does it what does it come with? Is it just a is it every pin and then uh, a three eighths screw, or how do you screw it in? And then how do you? So it's a five millimeter uh, screw. Um, they provide uh, the T handle, which is appropriately sized for uh, the. Uh, well, they provide the T handle Allen wrench, I should say, for oh. the T handle. <laughs> Um, and it's appropriately sized, so it's not too long or anything like that. Um, uh, I've been playing around with its uses because uh, I want operators to be able to have the, the front and back uh, handles. Um, I'm finding that in easy rig setups, um, the operators are limited mainly to the bottom handles, uh, and that's not necessarily comfortable because operators aren't putting the easy rig on their shoulder, uh, if at all anyway. And then so a lot of people are going uh, down to where their hips are, so they need uh, either to their hips or mid-range, I should say. And so like having different options as far as handles is becoming important um, on the rig. I know it adds weight when you add more items, but I like to try to give options until they tell me no. Okay, um, but is that something you basically just keep in your in your AC kit and uh, and you can offer it just as you go and just be like, hey, you know, if if you would like to, I can I can offer you this handle like right here and then it might help you. I tend to put it on and then ask for forgiveness. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, in one situation, I actually used a, a ninety degree uh, handle piece and then I put the Rawa handle uh, on from there. Because um, we were doing a TV show, and that offered the the grip and uh, ability to have a, a grabbing point uh, for the camera at that point. Um, and then another situation, I actually had the T handle. I used a uh, one of uh, Ratworks's compact hand, handle riser, and I, and it provided me two um, three eighths ports at the front of the uh, the camera at that point, and I was able to run the uh, the the Cine RT uh, down below and then the T handle up top to kind of protect uh, the the tubes uh, for if the uh, the operator were to grab them or something like that. Ah, uh, so that might actually kind be of a good idea because I like one of the things that I'm looking for. I mean, I, I'm I'm at the point where I need to get an antenna protector for my uh, for my Cine RT base unit, um, but it's always when. Uh, when an operator kind of like goes into low mode, you know, whatever on a cine saddle or whatever on the ground, they tend to like just push their monitor forward um, so that it kind of like looks up so they can they can see better. And that makes total sense. But they always just they ignore that the cine RT is there and they just like push the monitor right on top of it. And I think a handle mm -hmm. like that might actually be uh, a good thing to kind of protect the whole unit from from the abuse it gets you know? from the monitor. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, and that's some of the situations that I've been running into, just trying to figure out ways to protect other things by offering a helpful solution yeah. <laughs> where it's actually preventing you from pushing too far down. or And that's kind of like where the, going back to the rat work stuff, that's where the, the chainsaw handle used as the uh, uh, an alternative battery handle came, came into play because people were grabbing the battery mm. and pulling the battery off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Let's give you something different here. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's a very good idea because I mean, I and it's it's funny because I get it on the easy rig and it it tends not to do as much damage on the on the easy rig because you know the whole thing is like free flowing anyway. Um, but it, when when you have a camera on a tripod head uh, and it's a heavy camera and every and, and people just grab it by the battery, it, it kind of pains me watching that. It was like, mm, no, that's like totally not what that's meant for. <laughs> Um, they're gonna come asking me what happened to the camera while we're rolling and then it cut and be like well you grabbed the battery and exactly. like, well, why did you let me grab the battery and I'll be like you want me to change your style <laughs> <laughs> I guess so so I try to just provide that there as an option already and then I'll be like well you grabbed the battery not the handle right like I offered you an option Everybody's looking to blame the AC sometimes. <laughs> Why doesn't the monitor work? I, uh, did you turn it on? <laughs> yeah, it's an easy scapegoat. It's always I, I always love that whole thing when it's like, uh, hey, the Teradek isn't working, and then you do what you know everybody does is just you, you switch it off and you switch it back on, and then everyone's like, oh yeah, great, thank you so much. And you're like, you could have done that yourself. I'm fairly certain <laughs> it's pretty easy. Um, I like to do the uh, the whole like yeah 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 just sit there and wait for it, and then it pops up and they're like okay we're good and i'm like cool i didn't do anything sweet <laughs> <laughs> that works too sometimes ah oh, the good old wireless video uh i have one more question for you um brian and then i'll let you go uh start your start your day while i kind of end mine um uh i saw also on instagram god this this world these days right it's all instagram um <laughs> you got a light widow mat box um i'm not sure if that's like a better version uh i don't, I don't it's a demo it is a demo okay because i don't think they they sell mm -hmm. those yet um are you allowed to talk about it yet uh and if you are can you tell me how you like it and uh because i think it's a very intriguing piece of equipment uh and i was hoping that it's also like a really good mat box like aside from its main feature i would hope that it's a really good mat box uh in and of itself what do you think uh so i can talk about it in a limited aspect uh without giving too much away of what they plan on doing um in the future um the mat box itself is a phenomenal idea um you're able to add, basically add uh, smart uh filter trays uh, into the mix and have automated uh an automated display pop out onto the side of the map box, which indicates which filter you have in play. Um, these trays are updatable via a, uh, an app-based firmware on your phone, uh, which you can change at the whim uh, that you would like to, um, if you would like to do it that way. Or, or you can use some of your prep and you can um, basically uh, program these uh, ID tags on your filters um, to where when you put the filter into the tray, it, uh, the map box basically reads the little ID on the filter and it automatically generates to the side of the camera. So there's a few ways in which you can, uh, different ways in which you can use this. Like I, don't, I tend to do shoots that don't have so many filters uh, in play. So I uh, find myself able to program the tray 
uh, versus uh, a whole line of filters, but kind of depends on your shooting situation and how you like to work, um, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, but so wait a second, if you um, if you program the tray, the tray can only handle then that one filter, because like so if you have you an can, ND9 say and you want to drop it in another tray, you couldn't. You would have to switch, or how do I how do I picture that? So um, if you wanted to, if you had an ND6 in your tray and you wanted to switch it to an ND3, uh, for example, uh, that would be a if if you programmed it to the tray you would have to change it uh, through the phone app to indicate from uh, ND6 to ND3 mm -hmm. uh, at that point. Okay. Uh, if you programmed the ID tag on the filter, the filter would already have the tag as an ND6 or an ND3, and so that would be a, a quick swap at that yeah. point. So it honestly kind of depends on how you like to, uh, to run things. I find that if I'm able to do the change and then come back to the station and do uh, the second change as far as like my phone and stuff like that. Like that doesn't take too much time uh, versus me spending uh, more time at prep, uh, prepping every single filter with an ID tag at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I have to use, you know, order more ID tags. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've found that I can use three, uh, three ID tags, put them on the trays and then, um, just like you would update settings or anything like that uh, for the Alexa Mini on your on your uh, High Five WCU or anything like that, you would just have your phone there to uh, change these out as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that you can also send sweet messages to your operators. Oh, really? <laughs> that yeah. is a uh, that is amazing. So while while you're rolling, you could technically uh, tell them something that. Uh, that hey. You got a booger in your nose. Yeah, <laughs> the important things. <laughs> so um, you get you get nine characters, I think, on the display in two um, in two lines uh, per tray. So that it's what nine, eighteen, twenty-seven, thirty. Like you can see, it, it kind of add, starts adding up as far as characters and stuff like yeah. that. And you can make them larger or smaller. There's a lot of um, uh, variables that can kind of kind of go into play that they're uh, working on as far as like display and how much information they, they want to put out there uh, on these little screens. Yeah. Uh, so it's really cool. It's really intuitive. Um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna find it fun to be in these situations where you know you you might actually have to utilize them at Boston. Operator look up and they're like, oh. Like pan left. I don't have a radio with you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so it's like, how do you generate it? Generate it to the map box. <laughs> yeah, I could see how that actually uh, could be uh, helpful in, uh, yeah, in some moments for sure. Uh, so they've done as far as design and everything like that. They've uh, taken a look at what's been on the market, and they really, uh, they've really took a run at adding these abilities to this map box that nobody else really uh, has right now. Like they have a push uh, push release system for the uh, trays. Uh, so right now, if you slide a tray in, um, the trays are automatically locked at the bottom so they don't you know fall all the way through, but you can unlock one or you can unlock, unlock both of them and they unlock uh, different um, trays. Like the first, the first one, uh, leaves like the first tray um, ability to go all the way through versus the second one kind of locks it. That way you can unlock one and still slide the tra uh, tray through if you want to do like a grad filter or anything like mm -hmm. that. So they've really like gone pretty pretty far as to 
figure out some of these integrations of the map box and, and kind of plan around these shooting situations that we really run into. Um, there's a, they've offered multiple uh, clips uh, for safety chains and stuff like that uh, on the sides. And they've gone a full carbon fiber uh, route uh, for the initial design to, uh, to keep weight down. Mm -hmm. uh, the display, I believe, has a two-month-long battery life okay, well. um, at this point, and you can use USB-C to charge it if you like okay. <laughs> at some point. At this point, I've yet to charge it, and I've had it for two to three weeks. Wow, crazy. Uh, so that's kind of fun. Uh, and then I'll pull it out, and it just stays on. There's no reason to... There's no off button or anything like that. Um, the LED, you can change the colors uh, on, on the side. Uh, so there, right now, I think I have a red display. So if you're if you're A camera, you know mm -hmm. you have red. If you're B camera, you'll have blue, and you know so forth. You can switch all that, uh, and you can and you can dial in the colors as well. Um, if you want to go pink or purple or anything, okay. any other colors that you can kind of think of. In the days of Instagram, that's very important to have. You have to say. Well, their motivation is to try to cut down on um, waste because uh, we're using, you know, paper tags um, or paper tape tags or writing on real quick and you're just slapping them on the map, the map box all the time. And then that ends up into the trash. You're using mm -hmm. filter tags, which are made of acrylic. And then we lose the filter tag. They get lost inside the, uh, the pouch uh, and then sent back to the rental house. So it kind of helps um, in multiple aspects to help you save um, money uh, somewhere down the line and mm -hmm. to just putting it into a digital uh, form at that point. Um, and then I believe you're able to take into account, um, they might, I think there's a log built into the, uh, the app where you can see the uh, filter changes throughout the day. And then if you really wanted to, you can send that to post and then they can record like, okay, they had an ND3, they switched it out at this time. That time lines up with the time code, mm -hmm. um, you know, of the, of the day. So, you know, we can kind of assume or you know, put put it all A and B together. Of course, you'll have your you know your digital notes on Zoilog or something like that to send over. But you know, uh, metadata helps. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, in 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 any in any and every way. Um, but so, uh, yeah, cool. That sounds like it's an overall good mat box um, because that's what mm -hmm. I was concerned. I mean, I saw you know when they announced it, I was like, okay, the main feature is is amazing. Like that's cool for sure. Um, but as it goes sometimes with mat boxes from third parties, then every now and again, you just get like, I hate to say it, but like every now and again, you get like pretty shitty mat boxes. Um, and so uh, that was my main concern. But that sounds like they really uh, put some thought into the overall design of that thing. They've they've switched up the um, their design to accommodate certain aspects that they're looking to um to achieve, you know, so it's not, it's not an airy mat box by far, um, as far as like that concept. So there is a little bit of learning process and to learning kind of what works for you. Um, but you know, at the cost of not having to buy any, any tags and, or waste any tape or doing anything like that. And you get the metadata from it. Like to me, that, it checks all the, the right boxes going forward. Uh, it's, it hasn't been done, uh, yet. Uh, so it is something that's going to be, you know, have to be accepted into uh, into our world. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, just like anything that's going digital, like, if, of course, it's going to take a little bit of time to program it. But at the end of the day, like, if you're able to run and not do any switches and stuff like that and still have all the readouts and displays, like, 
it, it's a time-saving um, aspect in my book. Yeah, for sure. And I I can picture it, especially like on a feature film or like a, a, a narrative TV show or whatever, where you're on set for like eight weeks plus. Um, I mean, yeah, you prep your your filters once and then you just have this feature built in for the entirety of the shoot, which is definitely going to be very, very helpful. I think it's going to be a pain mm -hmm. yeah. uh, if you have to do that on a two-day commercial like twice a week. That would be probably a little bit different, but... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there there are there are uses that I found that are more useful for this map box than none. Because um, yeah, for a one day, two day commercial, it does make it a little difficult to program. You know, eighteen uh, filters if they decide to carry that many. Mm. Um, however, if you end up with three, you know, NDs and a Pola, uh, which is my usual go to, like it's it's not too much for me. So yeah. I just program the trays and then make sure I know which trays which. Um, I have asked for a few. Um, changes um like i mentioned I, i wanted them to etch in a one two and three for the trays so i can understand like the way that i would use them uh programming the tr uh, each tray versus each filter mm -hmm. um, and then i can see like okay number one i program as three as three number two as six number uh three as nine for example and then i always know that those are always programmed and those are my three filters and then i have the polo which has a non-metal um ID tag that you would just put on the side anyway, and that would be the only one that you really have to switch mm -hmm. as the uh, the. And uh, while we're on that subject, uh, I think it's pretty much my last question uh, too. Uh, how do you usually stack uh, filters? Um, like coming from the lens, going outside uh, or outwards. Um, what comes first, like uh, an FX filter, or do you put the ND filter closest to the lens? Like, what do you? What's your go-to? It depends on your operator. Okay. I like to ask the operator and put it on to them because then they'll ask the DP. Okay. <laughs> and then it doesn't become the AC's decision at all. <laughs> um, but it depends on your situation, really. Um, if you want a, a heavy effect, if you're doing a, a hardcore Black Pro Mist or something like that, and uh, you really want that to pop, then you you know you put that in front because you want the light to hit that first and then dissipate across uh, or and then uh, go through the rest of the, the glass into the sensor. Mm -hmm. um, If you wanted, uh, if you're having a lot of um, reflections and stuff like that, you might want the row to pull up front, uh, and and you know a little less effect from, or or you would want a little less effect from the diffusion filter. You can put it into the second tray or even the third tray just to kind of uh, dissipate it a little bit as it hits the sensor. I found that it's mainly a creative choice uh, versus the correct way of stacking them in an instance. There's reasons to put like the the rotopola in front of the the ND, uh, for example. But as far as where the diffusion sits, it just depends on how hard you want it to hit and translate through the rest of the the, the camera at that point. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, I learned the way that like you cut the light first, no matter what. So you like take out the most light um, first before you go towards the lens. But what you say make a lot of sense. But I would have to. Maybe I set this up one day. I should maybe like do some where, where you just like play around with it and like actually because you're never on set and go like, I wonder what it would be like if I like switch those two filters, if it would actually make a difference in, in, in the image. Um, but that would probably be a pretty cool day to just play around. It, it really comes into play with flares because uh, some operators like to really play with flares and then some don't. 
Yeah. Uh, so when you're in, then they're like, well, let's add, you know, glimmer glass or uh, a black promise or something like that. And if that's out in front, then the whole effect is really enhanced, I think, because the light's hitting the diffusion first and then uh, spreading across the rest of the glass. Yeah. Um, but there's some operators who are like, no, I don't want to see any flares at all. And then I'm kind of like, okay, cool. Let's, you know, cut the light out first at that point, like you were saying. And then let's let you know let it hit the filter up, uh, towards the back of the the trays, mm -hmm. and then kind of just uh, go through right there. So you're still getting the effect of the filter. It's just harder to hit the uh, the fil the diffusion filter directly and and spread across the uh, the lens a, mm -hmm. a little bit easier at that point. When it's left up to me, I <laughs> there's options. That's why I was like, how do you how would you like your filter stack, sir? <laughs> no, that makes I mean that makes or sense. I, I always ask too because it's like you know in the end. It's not my decision. Like I, I, I do it. However, but you know, if I'm just being tasked with like you know, just put these filters in, then uh, my main go-to is always to cut the light uh, first. And I'm not even sure if that's correct. That's just that's just like what someone told me a while ago, and I was like, uh, kind of makes sense to me, <laughs> and, so, and so I stuck with it. Well, I tend to do a uh, a diffusion rota and then the ND, but you know, eh, it just depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. Usually. Um, the diffusion you don't have to move or you would be changing out the diffusion the most and so the rota you would kind of want it to have it set uh so you don't bump it but like i said every, everybody has their own different reasons as to why they do it uh, sometimes most of the time uh you, you're just running a rota and then you're running you know internal nd nowadays so and it kind of moves everything back a little bit it's true it uh, there's there's uh, also one thing that i noticed that um especially with the alexa on the venice you have you know, you have, I think, ND3 through 24, or I, th I believe. Um, whereas on the on the Mini or the Mini LF, you only have like 6, 12, and 2.1 or 1.8, depending on, on which one. Um, and also, if you then have to substitute your uh, ND filters with an external filter, and depending on what kind of brand you're using, um, you can definitely see that the, the tint is different from the internal ND filters. And if you're not shooting you raw, you get a green shift. Uh, exactly. And if you're not, if you're not shooting in raw, then that might actually, I mean, depending on how heavy you're going, but it it, it can technically really mess with your image if you're switching from uh, just internal ND to like internal and an external ND within the same scene. Um, mm -hmm. So that was that was a that's always kind of like a weird thing. It's like, uh, hey, if you're planning on using external ND for the scene, then we should probably pop one in before we start and just rely on that um, rather than uh, going like internal and then external. I've actually uh, seen recently a, a assistant have a color meter uh, at prep and he would actually put the ND up and then redo it, try to get see what the color shift is for the ND and then record that. Um, so if the, it, if it mattered to the end uh, the DP with, they can see how much green um, shift and stuff like that are in each filter at that point, yeah. uh, and you know, and they can kind of dial out the the tint and exactly. the, uh, the yeah. white balance if they wanted to, depending on how much is in play or not. Um, we ended up not using it uh, in that situation, but uh, it was just good for me to learn that some uh, there are, has been request of seeing how much tint is actually in the. Uh, in the filters that are in play and so it's like do i need to add a color meter now to my kit well, it sounds like it <laughs> sounds like it, it does make sense though it's uh yeah it's a 
it's a very accurate way of dealing with it because uh, usually you're just guessing or you just mm -hmm. you know Definitely. if you shoot raw it's always like yeah I, whatever you just fix it in post <laughs> it'll be fine well, um, it's, it's like the the rotopola is this a two stop or is this the one and a half and you're like uh, uh yeah uh, <laughs> uh i don't know yeah it's true um <laughs> one and a half to two <laughs> yeah it, it's usually right uh right in there somewhere um but exactly. it's actually, yeah, you probably have to use a light meter to actually figure it out. No, and that's just stuff that's not right really in your uh, in your kit. So it's when you get asked, it's either it's labeled that way or you have to go and check. <laughs> I guess you can use the exposure um, uh, the exposure tool yeah, on the camera and put the uh, rotopola in and adjust on the the stopwise to see where it sits. That will, yeah. Huh. There we go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, or I'll just it. buy my own uh, rotopola and just use that one where I just know what it is. That would probably work too. The expensive uh, option. Exactly. The, just like let's throw money at the problem option, um, which I learned in America. I think that works great. I like. <laughs> I really like it until I uh, have no more money left. Well, it's a, there's a triangle. There's a uh, the money, time, and energy. And if you don't want to waste the energy or the time dealing with it, you throw money at it. Exactly. I like that option. Uh, as long as I have money, <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> exactly. Brian, thank you very, very much. I'm going to let you go now because uh, I know you're going to have to start your day uh, and I will have to pick up my three-year-old in exactly 16 minutes. Uh, and go. uh, I'm going to have to run. And you'll end your day. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, exactly cook dinner and uh, here we go again. Another day gone. Awesome. Um, I really appreciate your time, man. That was uh, awesome chatting to you and uh, I learned a few things. Awesome, me too. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really fun. And that was today's episode of the Focus Puller at Work podcast. Thanks to Brian Eichelmeyer. I have learned a thing or two today. Uh, thank you all for listening. And please let us know on Instagram or on the uh, Focus Puller at Work forum how you think we're doing. We would really appreciate your feedback. Um, also, if you like our podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe to it wherever possible. Uh, and don't forget that uh, there's another episode with Brian hosted by Megan. That's it from me today. Thanks again. And I hope I will catch you next time.